Well, welcome to the Grazing Sheep Podcast. I'm Big Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Meyerly. And uh, we thought maybe today we'd talk about our own farms, our own operations, and what we do, and what our, kind of what our goals are. Yeah, figured it'd be good to do some introductory stuff for those that maybe don't know us on a personal level, um, kind of where we've come from and what we're doing. So, Tom, you've been at this for quite a bit longer than I have. Um, so if you want to share kind of growing up what your livestock background was and then where you're at now, we can take it from there. Well, like I said earlier, you know, I grew up, this was a, on this home farm. Uh, this was a dairy farm. And uh, back then we probably only milked 25, 30 cows at the most and Back in the 60s and 70s, you could make a, a decent living milking cows, but in the 80s, everything went south pretty fast. So and, of your the area that you're at there in western Pennsylvania, quite a few dairies of that size. I mean, it was a pretty traditional farm outlook for, for that region. Yeah, just about everybody I knew either milked cows, worked for somebody who milked cows, or or grew up milking cows, you know. So and, growing up, how big of a dairy, you know, if you had a, what number of cows established that you were a big operating dairy at the time? Oh, we knew people that had 50 or 60. There was one guy that had 80, you know, and we thought, oh, my Lord, how could you ever take care of 80 cows? You know, right. how could you <laughs> ever keep them straight? You know, <laughs> And now, you know, boy, if you're milking 80 cows, you're just small potatoes. Right. It's so uh, when. So obviously don't have the cows anymore. When did you guys decide to get out of the dairy business? It was about mid eighties. <clears throat> the uh, we hit a point where we decided we could finally uh, sell cows, and those cows could pay off the mortgage, and then the farm would be mortgage free. We also had a farm machinery dealership, an international harvester dealership, growing up, and uh, so Dad spent most of his time there. And uh, you would think we'd have really nice equipment, but we always had the junk equipment. I can remember bailing, I can remember bailing one day with a pretty decent baler, and uh, Dad come pulling in and maybe unhooked because he had just sold that baler. Right, <laughs> so, right. So everybody else had the nice stuff. The rest of that hay we forked onto a hay wagon and and brought it down and just forked it off on the barn floor and fed it. It was. But that was just the way it was growing up. We just never had the good stuff. So after you got out of the dairy side of things, well, I went and worked for a, I went and worked for a, another uh, Marburger Dairy in uh, oh up there in Mars, Pennsylvania, and uh, had the opportunity to move to Virginia and pursue a music career. I always played piano and sang and that kind of stuff, and so I joined a country band and wasn't long before we were touring and traveling. And I came back home in uh, 96 and had signed a contract to play a cruise ship. But my mom was diagnosed with cancer and uh, I contacted the guy that I had the contract with. And he said, you only have one mom. You should stay home. And I said, what about this contract? And he said, just tear it up. <laughs> so I was, so I kind of figured when that was all over that I would end up back on the road playing music, but somehow here on the farm, I grew roots again. And now I That's cool. don't really like going much of anywhere. Right. 
but you still play music. Still play music. Uh, just play in churches now. Don't play out in the bars anymore. Problem is, when it's time to start playing in the bars, I'm ready for bed. Right. <laughs> so there in 96, when you moved back uh, with those roots, what did it look like? And what was, I guess, still still there on the home farm? Or what did you add? Well, there was just some old farm machinery, uh, uh, a couple, just one tractor. Uh, the farm was just coming out of the Conservation Reserve Program. And so that uh, that fall, I went in and brush hogged everything, and then in the spring, I started making hay. And I uh, went and bought a. <clears throat> well, when my dad had sold that old baler, I got mad and went and bought baler from the competition, no less, from a New Holland dealer, <laughs> and uh, and he was not happy about that. But I still had that baler, so I started baling hay. And uh, I think that first year we made something like thirty five hundred or four thousand small squares and. I would just hire neighbor kids in to help and unload and and uh but I started noticing at the sale barns, so I was buying bottle calves and I'd bring these, you know, day old calves, they call them bob calves. And I'd bring these bob calves home and and they were just dirt cheap. I think that first year I bought sixty of them. I averaged twelve dollars and fifty cents a piece for them. Wow. And about one and out growing of every up, growing up on the dairy, you had experienced you're rearing those calves. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of knew what to look for and, and, you know, but I would lose like one out of every four and, and, uh, but it wasn't that hard to make up that $12 and 50 cents you know, with, a, with another, another calf. But then I started to notice, uh, in the, in the feeder market in beef calves, these calves would come in that were under 300 pounds and nobody wanted them. And I kept thinking, man, why couldn't I just buy those? And they're already past the, I don't have to feed them milk replacer. I just have to figure out how to get them, how to wean them. Because I'll guarantee you, they just came off mom. And uh, so those calves, they started buying those in and I could buy those pretty cheap and then keep them all winter and then sell them in the spring. And I could make money on the pounds that I bought as well as the, the pounds that they gained. Right. So you were in that, I guess what we would call that backgrounding type yeah. operation. So yeah. It, so in making all this production. Yeah. And then making all this hay, we'd always end up, we kept picking up more farms and more farms, uh, more ground. And uh, so I decided to put out like 15 acres of corn. And then we just chopped, I'd have a guy come in and chop that and blow it in a silo. And then I could feed those calves corn silage all winter. And whatever was left, we would pick. And then part of that rotation, we run oats and uh, spelts. And so you'd take that picked corn and some oats and spelts and have that ground and add a little soybean meal to it and just kind of top just that silage. And I got kind of a reputation at the sale barns in that people knew they could take those calves and buy a, a, a decent sized group of those calves and bring them in and just put them in a pen and they'd walk right up to a bunk and start eating. They wouldn't have to be taught how to eat they didn't have to worry about them bloating because their you know rumens were all ready to go for that kind of stuff so you were buying them in it i know it's it's kind of cattle heavy conversation but you're buying them in at 300 pounds 400 pounds and getting them backgrounded at what weight were you trying to target there that following spring most of those would have been around 500 and not 
Um, a lot of those cabs that I bought were 210, 220. That was all the more they were when you buy them. Really? I mean, they were small and right off mama and you'd bring them home and they would just cry and carry on. And, and they'd so it be was afraid. like the tail end, the tail yep. end of everybody's calf crop. Yeah. They, they this just would said be, we're making one trip to the sale barn. Yep. And Tom's and this gonna would be, be there to buy them. Yep. This would be October, November, December. And uh, that's when the calf prices were the lowest. And then you couldn't buy anything from there on. The, the prices would just keep climbing. And uh, hmm. but like I said, I'd, I'd run those up and I'd run them in, in big groups for what's around here. You know, every 10 or 15 in a group. And uh, they the sale barns would always want me to split them up. And I said, no, just keep them together. I'd have all steers or all heifers. And, and then I would always keep a group around in the fall. They'd always be black steers because those at the time were always bringing good money. And those, so when I brought new calves in and got them doctored up enough that they could go out again and, and graze or, or just around through the barnyard, they would learn from the older calves where the water was, where the feed bunks were, all that stuff. And so after that group was kind of acclimated, knew what was going on, then I could sell those, those bigger steers, those big black mm -hmm. steers. Okay. And at the time, were you grazing much of anything then or mostly hay acres there on the home? Mostly farm? hay acres. Um, I have just weird areas around machinery, around some buildings, uh, some trees. And I would just fence those off and I would put cattle in there and let them eat it clear to the ground and then <laughs> move them. And so it was a form of rotational grazing. It wasn't very good rotational grazing, but it was rotational grazing. And then after we took all the hay off of this farm, and we just basically opened a, a gate and let them have the whole farm. And I wouldn't feed hay and usually until around Christmas time. I would just put a bale out in the uh, feeding area there. And uh, until they start touching it, I wouldn't close the gate. Once they come in and just started eating that, then I would just close the gate and and uh, bring them back down and start feeding silage again in the in the barn. And, and all that but uh one year i took out a twenty-eight thousand dollar loan to buy feeder calves and sold those calves for seventeen thousand and that was a big hit and wow. uh called fsa and said i'm in trouble and uh, that was like in uh i think july and they said, well, your loan's not due till October. I said, I don't care if it's not due till next October. There still won't be enough money there. Right. The, that feeder market just took a big slide. Right. And I was on the wrong end of it. And I said, that's that's it. I quit. I'm not going any further in the debt. FSA was more than willing to give me another loan. <laughs> you do this again. I said, no, one time's enough. <laughs> I'm done. Right. So I started... Uh, background and dairy heifers for some relatives that had dairy farms yet and okay. i like that because they uh they paid me x amount per day they provided the grain that they wanted you know fed to them and then because we were still making so much hay by that point we were up to 12 13,000 square bales a year and you inevitably you would end up with hay that got rained off mm. so we would just round bale those and that's what got fed to to the cows heifers yeah so yeah. on the heifer on the heifer side uh this to me just all these different facets in agriculture i find terribly entertaining 
Um, and so I hope those that are listening can kind of take a break from the small room at time. But when those heifers are arriving, they're weaned, freshly weaned calves. Uh, yeah, most of those were. They usually had groups of like 12 or 15 that they okay. would bring in. And yeah, they were all weaned and uh, they were eating grain well. And they were probably in that, probably closer to 400 pounds. And so you would not- develop them to... So they would get them up to breeding age, and then they had a farm up in New Wilmington uh, that belonged to an Amishman, and they would take them up there. And uh, these were all Holsteins and Holstein Jersey crosses. And uh, that Amishman had a Jersey bull, and they would take those up there. They would get bred, and then they would bring them back home as springers and okay. freshen them out and put them in the, in the milk and strain. Right. And you'd already have another set by then. But it was guaranteed money, and it took a lot of the risk out of, off of you in yeah. the on the on the monetary side of things. Yeah, when we got the first group in, uh, CJ was, you know, we were standing there at the gate looking at him, and he says, "So, what do you think of this?" And I said, "Well, I said the nice thing if one dies tomorrow, I just call Rob up and say, uh, hey, I'm sorry to tell you, but one of your calves died, and uh, you owe me one day yardage for that calf." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like I said, it took a lot of the risk out. Right. And that right. was that was the big thing. So you did that for a little while and then Yeah, we did that for beef. about six six years and then uh they felt the dairy crunch and decided they just couldn't afford to pay anymore. Hmm. So they okay. were gonna back their calves off a good bit. A lot of those springers, you know, they could they could sell back then. Right. And uh as there's just less and less dairy farms, the there just wasn't as much money in that anymore, and they just couldn't afford to do it. So they came to me in the spring and said they were pulling out in the fall. And I was grateful to have that notice. So that's when I went out and bought a small herd of, of beef cows. Okay. So I went out and bought uh, 21 bread, shortbread beef cows and then spent four years getting them to where they called uh, calf in the spring. Okay. <laughs> That first year, and then I, at that point, I had decided that I was doing rotational grazing. So is that, would you say the beef cattle kind of spurred your, your interest or passion for the grazing interest that you have now? Or did that start? I I knew, I knew the biggest expense was feeding them all winter long. Okay. The longer I could graze them. And uh, I had stumbled onto some YouTube videos. uh, I think it was probably Joel Salatin at first you know, talking about the rotational grazing and, and, uh, and that just led to some other things. And, and I went to a grazing meeting here in Beaver County and uh, met some people and some old fella come up and said, stop asking questions and start grazing cows. He said, you'll answer, you'll answer more of your questions just by doing it and watching what's going on. And so we were going to move cows once a day, but I'm telling you for the first two weeks, I couldn't figure out how to make the grazing cell big enough. And every time I'd go out and look, I'd be like, there's not enough grass here. There's no way they're going to make it till tomorrow. So I'm just going to move them now. And so that just became habit. So I moved cows at the minimum of twice a day. Hmm. And uh, sometimes we'd move cows seven, eight times a day. As we got into taller grass later in the season where i really wanted to tramp that grass down i would make really narrow strips and let them tramp that down and come back in a couple hours and move them again 
Yeah. And so then we had mentioned kind of your jump into the sheep business. So it's been a just a long road in agriculture diversity and <laughs> it jumped into those in 2017. And I think, as we mentioned before, you don't have cows anymore. No, so, no, so I just touch on that briefly. Well, the the cows just weren't penciling out. There just wasn't enough acreage here. There was no way I was ever going to make a living just running beef cows and selling calves. And, and uh, you know, winter expense was still there um, for two years in a row, almost three. Um, I grazed 365 days. Um, the third year, I think I had to, I think I had to put bales out for 14 days. So I kind of had that part of it down. But here in Western Pennsylvania, you just don't get a lot of frozen ground. So in the wintertime, things are really wet. And those cows just tear up pastures. And eventually, if you if you rotationally graze long enough, you start to not, you start to pay way more attention to your grass and your ground and what you're doing to it. And um, so the last thing you want to see is that, that ground all tore up a bunch of holes everywhere There's a bunch of holes um and some of those holes get muddied up so bad that you just get ragweed the next year and um which ragweed's got a fantastic root it really does a heck of a job healing the soil but it's uh not highly nutritious and so you'd much rather have a bunch of grasses and clovers growing and so it was it was just time to get rid of the cows and yeah and i I'm sure there's some people that might even argue the nutritious aspect of ragweed because I'm, I would assume your sheep are eating it. The sheep are eating it. Um, they don't eat the stems. They're just eating, right. you know, all the leaves off it. And I'm sure, you know, there's some, some decent value in it at certain times. But right. when you have, you know, 70 acres and it's all, you know, you've got all ragweed, ragweed. <laughs> up everywhere all at the same time, it's hard to get over right. all that. And hit well, exactly. It. And along with that certain time comes that palatability factor. Absolutely. And if it's not palatable, 365, you're going to have a hard time convincing something to, to eat it 365. Yep. That so, is absolutely true. So we started into, I started looking for something else that I could do. Uh, and like I, I said in the previous episode, you know, I kept running into these uh, articles about sheep. Um, and somebody had mentioned that the Katahdin sheep are like the Hereford cattle, you know, and, uh, they're just good mothering, uh, just easy care animals. And so that's what I sought out and that's what we started with. And, uh, spring of 2022, I'd pretty much made up my mind. It was time to move the cows on and use that grass for sheep. And so in 2022, I bred, uh, I think it was 103 ewes. And because we have kept, we've kept every ewe lamb we could keep starting from yeah, the, for 2023 to lamb okay. in 2023. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we brought them in 2022 with the idea of the lamb in 2023. Uh, there were some, we did some of that uh, spring breeding for fall lambing. So there was a group of those that are, so there's what 30 of those out grazing right now. Uh, the mature group has, has lambed. And uh, there's a group of 25, 22 ewe lambs, I guess. 
that are starting okay. to, that are starting to lamb now. Getting ready to lamb at 13 months of age, roughly. Uh, they're going to be closer to that. Uh, I guess, yeah, there'll be a few in there that'll be 13, but the vast majority of those are going to be 12 months. Okay. And and do you know how many, what percentage of those uh, conceived for lambs at that 12 to 13 months of age? Oh, probably. I guess there was 35 in that group and 25 of those settled. Okay. And uh, the ones that didn't settle were the ones that were born in the tail end of the, the lamb group last year. And so okay. they just, they went to grass a little earlier than I would like to put them out. But just with the hay situation, I just decided, well, we're going to move right. them out on grass. Had we kept them in the barn another month, I think they would have grown a little faster because they're getting a little grain while they're inside. Right. They get a little better quality hay. And uh, I think they would have grown a little better. It's, uh, it, it, I tell you with sheep, it's just something every year. It seems like you learn something else, right? Something else. You just tweak your program a little bit more. Um, you know, this, this year we decided to start feeding, uh, one pound of oats per head per day on uh, the ewes on the, on those ewes about 45 days before they would start to land. And, uh, of course, you know, they're, you're going to lose about nine days before you get them up to that full one pound you're starting them out on a quarter pound for three days and then uh you know a half pound per head per day for three days and then three quarter pounds a head per day you know for three days so there's your nine days before you get up to the full one pound but our lambing weights have been so much better and uh and those lamb birth weights birth weights yeah so yeah. those birth weights have been so much better the user in uh, better body condition and at this point, you know, knock on wood, everything's just really going well. Yeah. And I know this isn't necessarily intro material, but it kind of reminded me there, you'd mentioned you sold the cows spring of 22 mm -hmm. and kind of fortunate timing for you, because do you think you would have had enough grass for everything with the drought conditions you guys experienced there yeah. that summer, all that summer, summer long. last year? All summer long, I'd be out moving sheep. Hey. The grass is crunching under your feet because it's so dry. <laughs> right. And all I kept thinking was, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for telling me to sell those cows because, oh, it would have been in trouble. I had a guy that uh, he wanted to do some contract grazing for two months in uh, August and September. And I ended up calling him up and saying, I, I can't do it. I, I just don't have the grass. He was not right. happy. But, I yeah, I just didn't have the grass. Right. Just, everything was just growing back, you know, so slow. But once we did get rain, I mean, everything just took off. And yeah. uh, you look at the neighbors and, you know, they started feeding hay in July and they never stopped feeding hay. You know, they're just continuously grazing and, and that grass just, it greened up, but it still it's looks short. like a carpet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> carpet, right. It's just nothing right. out there. So on the Katahdin thing, you kind of mentioned where you're at, bred those 100 ewes there last fall um i guess what's the goal moving forward if you had a say a five-year plan in mind where you'd like to be and kind of what you'd like to do with those katahdin sheep well i'd like to break them up into probably three different lambing groups uh just to spread the labor out uh we can't bring all those animals into the barn at the same time 
know, because we still like the lamb in the barn. Um, and just at this point now, we can finally start to call some of those ewes. You know, we've got some that are uh, just don't shed well, that we call woolies. And so those are going to go. We've got some older ewes that just aren't holding body condition anymore. And so those, those need to go. And, um, and then just going back through the records, you're finding some that are just not consistently uh, lamb and twins. You know, they're just kind of back and forth and probably, you know, some of those need to go. Um, so do you feel that those, those individuals you just mentioned um, that are maybe having singles more often than what we'd like, but you've kept daughters out of them for, say, the last three years, mm -hmm. are those daughters terrible sheep or? No, not definitely not all of them. It kind of depends. And, and why is that? Well, it kinda, it, yeah, it kind of depends on what ram we bred them to. Um, you know, we bought a, a ram out of a show flock. Uh, it's a, it was a really nice ram. He, really nice looking lambs. But none of his daughters are what I would call very fertile. As you go back through the records and you keep finding these ones that are having more singles than, than twins, they kind of all go back to that ram that we named Tim. And, uh, and so as we bred those daughters, we didn't breed those to Tim. We bred those, you know, to a, a different ram. And now those daughters seem to be, you know, better. The goal has always been to breed a, a used weakness to a ram's strength. And in theory, that lamb should be better than the ewe it came out of. So we always feel like we're, we're moving ahead with that. And uh, being members of NSIP, we can go back through the years and look. They always send you these little graphs and so on. And we're everything is on a, a rising plane, um, except for parasite resistance, which is on a downward plane, which is supposed to be. You know, so I know when I first looked at that, uh, I was like, what? Why is that going down? And then I was like, oh, well, those are negative numbers. <laughs> that is what right. you, you do want that going down. And that's what I was trying to get at. Um, with with without just coming out and saying it is yeah. you are taking advantage of some genetic selection tools to identify rams that should help those use that maybe you ought to call mm -hmm. um, but since you're in this growth stage can generate beneficial ewe lambs that will outperform their mothers yeah i feel i feel like every year um those the next lamb crop is just better than the lamb crop previous um there's exceptions in there you know but uh for the most part that is that has really worked you know for the first year first three years i guess we just had one ram we just used that one ram didn't know anything about them um then we started buying nsip rams and we were involved in nsip and you know this year we had the option of using five different rams uh, we only used four, but those four different rams pretty much all did different things. Some were growth you know, rams, some were high in parasite resistance. And um, so those, that ram that was so high in parasite resistance, we, you know, bred that to stuff that was terrible as far as parasite resistance went. And that should give us, you know, those lambs should be better than their, than their moms. Right. And that was, that's been pretty much the goal. Um, 
the yeah, you know, this year we're going to sell some ewe lambs. It'll be the first time we've you know we've done that. I've had a couple of people contact me that are interested in buying bred ewes, and mm. um, and some of these there's you know I wouldn't sell them the woolies. I wouldn't sell them the the older ewes that won't uh, that won't hold uh, body condition anymore. And right. we've got a couple ewes with some uh, bad udders. We won't sell them those. But I've got some, you know, 2017, some 2018s. Um, so there's definitely older ewes. And they're they're good sound ewes. And it, it wouldn't be a, a bad type of ewe to get started in if you don't know a whole lot about sheep. Right. You know, they're easy cares. Uh, they're good mamas. Uh, you know, they're going to have babies. They're going to, you know, pop those babies out and turn right around and start taking care of them. And um Right. So, you know, so I wouldn't be opposed to selling those, but the calls, I mean, those, those are going to freezer camp. I wouldn't yeah. want to sell those to anybody. Yeah. Or to somebody's sheepdog flock. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you know, somebody wants some training sheep. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. That's great. So we're running out of time here, but uh, I guess if you were to put two questions for you, all right. So in the next five years, where would you like to be? And then the second question is, if you had to pick a ram based on the criteria that you've just mentioned, what would he look like and what would his EBV profile, what would he be able to do for your flock? Um, just thought that'd be a fun thing to end on. Well, probably in the next five years, we'll probably continue to grow. Um and 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 call too, you know. Um and through that that culling, you know, if you take off the bottom 10% of your flock, you know, the worst 10%, in theory, you you just improved your flock. Um but we're hoping to be able to sell quality seed stock, you know, definitely not elites, but uh but good seed stock, especially for someone who wants to get started or or someone that's looking to get into NSIP and needs that that kind of data behind them, um, and then looking at rams, I mean, geez, you know, you'd love to find a ram that just had massive growth uh, that topped out, you know, fairly early, so it didn't carry over, so you didn't it didn't end up with massive ewes. You don't want that yearling weight to be crazy high. That had uh, decent parasite resistance, but that's kind of the unicorn that everybody's looking for. <laughs> Right. So I would imagine for a long time we're probably still going to be, you know, pairing uh, a ram's strengths against a ewe's weakness, and um, we've got a couple ewes that I, I think are just pretty good ewes. So we kind of went with their strengths to a ram's strengths, and we'll see how that turns out this year. Um, but that's pretty close to you know. What I'm looking to do, it's always, I think there's always room for improvement. You're always trying to tweak that program a little more and try to just do a little better, get to some of those. Uh, I think a lot of these ram lambs, we're going to try to get them up in that 40, 45 pound range and then send those off to the sale as, as opposed to grazing them all summer and and then selling them in the fall and getting the same price we would have got for them when they were, right. you know, that 40, 40 to 50 pound range. I really think that's where we're at. Um, you know, we've got 70 acres here to graze on the home farm. Uh, there's some other people we're kind of talking to. They're kind of getting interested in maybe 
having us come work with them and graze a little bit on their properties. And so that will kind of depend, that will dedicate or, or dictate, I mean, um, you know, how big this, this block could be. But I think with sheep, there's just a lot of different avenues, a lot of different ways you can go. And uh, it's just kind of up to your imagination and what your what kind of resources you can come up with to, to use use that. And that was one of the things that I think, uh, you know, being a member of the Eastern Alliance for Production Katahdins, that's one of the great things about that. That organization is there is just a wealth of information and there's a pile of people in there that were pretty much anything I want to try, they've already done. And uh, you can ask lots of questions and get the answers. Right. Well, we definitely appreciate you sharing some some intro or backstory on you know the man, the myth, the legend that is Tom Perkins and certainly a wealth of knowledge. And hopefully that just gives some people some insight on what you've got in terms of experience and, and where you're headed. So I want to thank you for that, Tom, and All right. we'll look forward to the next one. Sounds good. So, so I guess we thank you for listening to the Grazing Sheep podcast. And uh, hopefully on the next one, we'll talk to Dr. Cameron Meyerly and find out what's going on in his place. Perfect. Sounds good. You have a good day, Cameron. We'll catch up with you. You do the same. All righty. Bye now.